Welcome all of you here this evening. It's good to see you back out, and I'm up here to introduce our speaker tonight. Some of you may know who he is, some of you may not yet, but uh, he's Brandon Kraft. And Brandon, uh, consider this uh, the Kraft family welcome to Kentucky. They just moved in from uh, St. Louis, Missouri area a little over a week ago, a week ago this past Friday. They're new residents of this area, live just a few blocks or about a block or two behind the, uh, behind the church, and we welcome them to Kentucky. Trisha already told them uh, they were home the, over home the other night. We already told them that uh, they live in heaven, and they said, why is that? Well, you live next to Kentucky, and West Virginia is almost heaven, so you're, you're, in, you're, in, you're in heaven because you're in Kentucky. But we welcome them to the Ashland, Kentucky area and uh, welcome him into this pulpit tonight to preach for us in the absence of our pastor. He has his son going to read uh, scripture and lead in prayer. Of course, you all have heard Angie play her saxophone, and we hope to hear that uh, a whole lot more. So uh, make sure you greet them afterwards and welcome them to Kentucky. And I hope Pastor Bird's not watching because I'm up here without a tie. And... <laughs> I won't tell if you won't. Cole? Psalm 113. Praise ye the Lord. Praise, O ye servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun unto the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations, and his glory above the heavens. Who is like unto the Lord our God, who dwelleth on high, who humbleth himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth? He raiseth up the poor out of the dust, and lifteth the needy out of the dunhill, that he may set him with the prince with princes, even the princes of his people. He maketh the barren woman to keep house and to be a joyful mother of children. Praise ye the Lord. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to you for this great day that you've made. Thank you for giving us this great experience this great experience of life that you've breathed into each one of us who believe the gospel. Thank you, Father, that you've granted us all repentance and faith. Thank you, Father, that you set our eyes upon Christ, giving us the ability to rest in him and to keep from striving and from trying to earn our way for any merit. Father, I, I would ask that you'd be with us tonight as we worship you, ask that you would be with us as, ask that you be with me as I try to speak the word, and Father, I'd ask that you'd give traveling mercies to, to Jim and Nancy who are on their way back from Almont, and Father, I'd ask that your name would be lifted up high and would be, you would be glorified amongst the people here. And Father, I ask that those who are listening by way of the internet, 
that they may be too they may too be edified and father we we know that you've got your people out there they're scattered all over this earth all over this planet and so many of them are going through so many troubles and trials tribulations afflictions father we know that all these things are predetermined for our good and your honor and your glory and sometimes we don't understand how these things are so but we know that they are because your word tells us they are but father i'd ask that you be with all of us tonight all of our all of your people around the world and that you'd comfort them and father we do love you we we thank you for creating all things and making us and even giving us this day every every moment every breath of life is a gift from you and we you com, you completely sustain us you you sustain all all people even those who don't believe they just don't know it but father you sustain your people and we know it and father we thank you that you woke us up and you breathed life into us and gave us the eyes to see and the ears to hear and father that and, and you've given us great joy. And Father, it is my joy tonight to be able to, to praise your name and, and to honor you. Father, we thank you for all things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I, I can't tell you how humbling it is for me tonight to stand before all of you uh, to deliver the, the gospel message. Uh, as as Ron said, uh, I recently moved here with my wife Angie and and my son Cole, so that we could all be a part of this congregation. And we've we've all fallen in love with this church and with the town of Ashland, as well. And we we loved you all so much, and we love this church so much that we uh, we just purchased a home down a couple blocks from here, <laughs> just a stone throw away. And I want to personally thank every one of you. Uh, to who has helped us and so many of you went out of your way to uh, to do so many things for us and we truly do appreciate everybody's hospitality hospitality and and the love that has been shown to us here in this assembly yeah you made food for us and you helped us move in Susan thank you for coordinating it all I, I do appreciate that and and you all gave us helpful advice even when we didn't ask for it, it was so helpful. <laughs> but you, you've treated us all like family, and uh, and I'm not sure that the words I, I can express tonight. Uh, I, I don't think I can express the deepest gratitude that I have for all of you. And oh boy, I I, I certainly never thought we'd be living in Kentucky, uh, but here I am standing before you today, and and a few years ago. If somebody had told me that I'd be standing here, I would be—I would have been shocked, <laughs> and it, it's still kind of shocking for me. Uh, it's almost a surreal experience standing up here in front of all of you. And this assembly, this—it's more than than just a place; it's a people. And this particular group of people, this congregation, this local assembly, this group of people was founded what, nearly 70 years ago when 
Henry Mahan took a bunch of folks over from Pollard Street Baptist Church to start a new congregation dedicated to the gospel of free and sovereign grace. And I think it's pretty neat to be a part of that heritage. The heritage of our pastors, Bill Parker and also Jim Bird. But what's even neater is that we as a people can trace our union with Christ together all the way back to eternity when we were joined together in the everlasting covenant of grace. When we were given to Christ by the Father for, for Christ to be our surety and Savior. And all of this was before the foundation of the world because God is transcendent of time and space. And indeed, he's always viewed us as perfectly righteous in Christ. We are seen as just and therefore justified within the mind of God from eternity, for God is eternity. And it is from God, it is from eternity, which all things flow. And Jeremiah 31.3 says, He has loved us with an everlasting love. We who believe the gospel have always been held in such high regard, such high esteem, because we have been seen in Christ. We are the apple of God's eye. And he loves us. He always has. And I don't know about you, but that just makes me want to jump for joy. And I weep. I weep for those who cannot share our joy. I weep for those for whom God has not revealed himself. But nevertheless, what we have is thrilling. And I hope your salvation never becomes humdrum to you. And oh my, what a thrill it is. What What a joy it is to know these things and to experience our salvation. And that's what I'm here tonight to do. I'm here to celebrate. This is a meeting for worship, but it's also a message of redemption. It's a message of rejoicing in our salvation. And I so wish we could sing our hymns. <laughs> COVID's really messed things up for me. Uh, I wish we could sing our hymns and, and of joy and praise tonight. And I look forward to the day that the, our COVID restrictions are lifted and we can all lift our voices together up to God. And it just doesn't seem right without us being able to sing. And uh, we're, we're really conducting solemn business tonight because we're a chosen race, a royal priesthood. And what we have is so special. We have the privileged duty to worship our Lord and set forth his message of redemption to the praise and glory of his grace. And Jim had recently heard my preaching at my grandma's funeral and earlier this year, and he apparently liked it. So that's here I am. So <laughs> I hope I don't disappoint you. And it's my hope tonight that I set forth a sermon that will be Christ-honoring and if you don't, if you hear something you don't understand or something you don't like, just let me know because uh, I'm not a very practiced speaker and so I'd ask for your patience and your consideration of me as a weak vessel. I'm just a mouthpiece and I don't want any honor. I only want to honor the Lord. So tonight we're going to turn in our Bibles to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, and we're going to start in verse 14. 
And this may be a strange passage to start a sermon on, but for some reason I just felt like I needed to preach on it. We're talking about the error of Hymenaeus and Philetus. All right. Of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of the truth, but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And their word will eat as doth a canker, or cancer, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. All right. I remember reading this passage in my Bible years ago and not really paying attention to the words. Have you ever done anything like that? <laughs> I'm still guilty of that. I, I still fail to pay, pay attention to what the scriptures have to say. And this is now after now decades of Bible study as a believer. And you'd think I'd learn. But it's easy sometimes to just look over the words and not pay attention to them. God is apparently pleased to teach us in bits and pieces, sometimes over the course of an entire lifetime. And it doesn't matter how much we try to learn or study, but our learning is on his timetable. But nevertheless, he's still faithful to teach us. He's faithful to his people. So what's going on here in this passage? Who are Hymenaeus and Philetus? Paul, in this passage, says that their word eats like cancer. Those are pretty strong words. I, I can think of a lot of doctrines that eat and rot a man's soul today. There's the uh, popular religion of today. I'm sure most of you are familiar with it all. That says you have to do something to make yourself acceptable to God. And this religion, it's been around a long time. It goes all the way back to Cain and Abel with Abel relying upon Christ for all of his salvation, Cain bringing and relying upon the work of his own hands. I call this stage four or five cancer because it most certainly leads to death and destruction. Most believers I know know how to avoid this stuff like it's the plague, and I know most of you do as well. After you've been steeped in the gospel and been brought to love and rely upon God's sovereign grace, usually easy to point this stuff out. Usually the ministers of these false doctrines, they'll uh, call upon the hearer to do something to make themselves acceptable to God. They'll say, they'll say things like, God has cast his vote, the devil's cost, cast his vote, now you have to cast the deciding vote. <laughs> Your vote's going to make all the difference, apparently. And they talk about making so-called free will decisions, and that one salvation is in their own hands. That's a, that's a scary thought, <laughs> because I know my own soul, and if salvation was up to me, I know I'd mess it up. <laughs> I'd mess it up royally. Wouldn't you agree about that? 
agree with that about yourself as well? If you think you'd get it right, well, then I don't think you know yourself very well. And oftentimes you'll see these ministers of will worship try and sell something at the end of their message. Messages which, by the way, my son has recently noticed, are not at all focused on Christ and his gospel and his way of saving people. They're usually uh, messages that are focused on things like how to be a good dad or husband or leader in the community. And at the end of their messages, they'll call for their audience to raise their hand or walk to the front of the church building to get saved or rededicate their life or something like that. Uh, they're always calling on their audience to do something, and that's usually how you can tell that what they're peddling is false. So most of you, I think, listening to this tonight, I think you know how to avoid this type of cancer. I haven't seen any of it here, so that's good. <laughs> we, but we who believe we look to Christ who has done something, we don't have to do anything. We just get it. We just get salvation. How cool is that? <laughs> but as we look at the text tonight, we need to ask ourselves, is this the type of cancer that Paul's talking about? Is the cancer of Hymenaeus and Philetus works religion? I think it may have something to do with that. However, I think we need to focus on verse 18 of the text. And I think it tells us not of the cancer of how we are saved, but a cancer of what, or belief in what, we are saved to. So let's take a closer look. Verse 18, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. What's Paul talking about? These men, these Hymenaeus and Philetus. I think I got their names pronounced right. Well, Paul's saying here that they are saying that the resurrection has already occurred. What resurrection? Well, it's the resurrection of the dead that you and I look forward to with anticipation. It's the great hope that we've been saved to, that we will one day have new bodies in the new earth. And here Hymenaeus and Philetus are saying that this resurrection has already occurred. It's kind of strange to me, but what... what what did, what did they mean by that? And why, why did this upset Paul so much to write about it? And how does this apply to us today? And I think these are questions we must ask of the text. And that is how we study the scriptures. We study by asking questions and then seeking the answers to those questions in scripture. So here are some, a few questions that come to my mind when reading this. Why is Paul so upset about what these men are saying? And what harm is there in saying that the resurrection has already occurred? What does our salvation mean if our resurrection has already occurred, like Hymenaeus and Philetus are saying? If we were supposedly resurrected, what kind of resurrection was it? And so you, you can ask all kinds of questions of this text. I'm going to try to answer some of them. And I think the best way is to go to Scripture. Scripture must interpret Scripture. So what is Paul so upset about? Let's see if we can figure that out. What the big problem is. And you may be asking yourself, what in the world am I talking about? And why am I talking about this seemingly obscure section of scripture? Well, let me tell you, I, I think it has a ton of implications for us today. And this is not some insignificant warning from Paul. It's very serious for us. 
It was very serious for those who believe the gospel today and not just those of the early church to whom Paul was writing. Because I'm telling you, believe it or not, I've actually met people like Hymenaeus and Philetus. Not in this congregation, but they're out there. And they're more prevalent than you might think. And their error, I would say, is as deadly as the idea that one can save themselves through their works or acts of volition. And would you believe there are many who come in the name of free and sovereign grace, yet do not believe in a future resurrection of the dead? Shocking, but, but they do deny it. And they'll mockingly refer to us as those who believe in it as futurists. And they also will claim to have a more spiritual understanding of the scriptures, thinking that within them they have eternal life. And I think that's what these two men are doing here. They spiritualize the resurrection of the dead. And I don't know if they were early Gnostics or not, but the Gnostics, if you study church history, believed that anything that was made of matter or material in nature was inherently evil. And therefore, men must not be rid of their sin, but of their body. And there was so much contempt for their bodies at the time that, that it led many to deny the actual resurrection of the dead. And everything that Christ had talked about the subject of our resurrection was strictly allegorical or spiritualized. And while it's true that we are objectively crucified and buried and raised again with Christ in the mind of God, there is still something to experience. Our salvation is, is not strictly an objective event. We get to experience it each and every day. It's also true that there is a sense in which we were resurrected from the dead when the Holy Spirit breathed new life into our hearts and minds. We were quickened and brought to believe and rest in the work of the righteousness of Christ alone for all of our salvation. And when we come to believe the gospel, we repent, meaning we turn from working or striving and relying on work performed in or by us and resting in Christ alone. And Paul was intensely adamant about preaching salvation by grace alone, and Christ alone, by faith alone, with it all being for the glory of God alone. And as you can see here in this text, he was also highly concerned by not just how we are saved, but what we are saved from and what we are saved to. Some men think we're just saved to what we are now as believers. And while there is some truth to that, we are saved to a hope and an expectation of what is to come. And as believers, we still sin. We still struggle daily with the flesh. It's a, it's a daily struggle for me. <laughs> and my, Angie can attest to that. She gets to witness it every day. And, but in all of us, there's, we groan within for that day when we're with our Lord and standing face to face with him. We long to put off these bodies where we no longer have to fight that daily battle that against our sinful desires but live according to the will of the spirit that lives within each of us. And I think that's what Paul was so adamant about here in this passage, that we're the most pitiable if there is no resurrection from the dead to look forward to. What's the point if 
we won't be resurrected from the dead. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 12, please. Starting in verse 12. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ not be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain? Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For the dead rise not, and then is Christ not raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ also perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Right here in Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth, he wrote that he Denial of the resurrection of the dead is a matter of extreme importance. And he affirms that belief in the resurrection was absolutely necessary if one was to have any hope in Christ. He further says that if there's no resurrection, then we as men and women are the most miserable. He's emphatic about this, and these are his words, not mine. He says if we were to deny the resurrection, then our faith is futile. Futile faith, what does that mean? Well, I'm not one that insists that you have to have a religious experience that meets the criteria of ardent religionists. I still firmly believe that God's salvation cannot help but elicit an emotional response in his people. And I don't know about you, but I'm really excited about my salvation. And I'm excited to know that I'm saved from my sins. And I'm excited to know that Christ holds, God holds nothing against me. And all of my sin has been charged to Christ. And I'm so glad to know that this is all mine and I didn't have to do a thing to earn it. Christ did it all and I just get to enjoy it. And not only am I excited about what has already happened, but I'm super excited about and super hopeful about what is coming my way. And you all know that everyone we know is going to die. We're all going to be put into the ground and we're all going to be turned into dust eventually. That is unless, as Ron was saying this morning, unless the Lord returns and we're all transformed. But people are vanishing right before our very eyes. And they're going into the ground and they're being turned to dust. And if you didn't know Christ, it would be horrific. Absolutely horrifying. But if you live in Christ, you get to go to the grave in peace. Because you know that you're going to close your eyes and wake up in glory. And this body of flesh, this decaying body, it's going to be renewed. But if we don't have our hope, where's our peace? If we don't have this hope, where's our peace? What do we have to look forward to? 
What's the purpose of our faith if we aren't resurrected from the dead? Would it be futile? In reality, it doesn't matter how we die, because those of us who have been granted belief in Christ have also been given a great confidence that whatever afflictions we currently or will suffer from is only temporary. So let's take a look at what we can look forward to. Turn with me into Philippians 3. Starting in verse 20. And I love to talk about this because it gives me great joy. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. We have an assurance that our body is going to be resurrected from the dead like Christ's. Right there. It's going to be fashioned like unto his glorious body. You're going to come out of that grave and walk around with a new body. And it's going to be, as Paul put it here, fashioned like unto his glorious body or the body of his glory. And our bodies in the resurrection, they shall be like Christ's. And thou shall, they shall, shall shine like the sun. <laughs> I can't get that. It's a tongue twister. Shine like the sun. You're, you're going to live forever in that perfect body that the Lord is going to give you. And you're going to be able to walk with him, and you're going to be able to talk with him face to face. And that brings me so much joy to think about. Doesn't that bring you joy? Can you rejoice with me tonight? I'm, I'm, looking, I'm looking so forward I'm to speaking with him and thanking him face to face for my salvation, for my life, my body. Everything that happened in my life, my family, the time I was born, my parents, where I was born, all the circumstances. I can't wait to talk to him about it all and just praise him and thank him for everything. But what about these men that Paul is writing about? These guys, Hymenaeus and Philetus, where's their hope? If you believe that the resurrection has already occurred... And what does the future hold for you? Do you believe that salvation in Christ is only salvation of your soul and not your whole body? Do you believe Christ is coming again? Do you believe that this world of death and destruction will continue on forever? All the sin and evil? Well, I've talked to some folks and who deny a future resurrection and their answers are quite shocking. They would affirm that yeah, it's going to continue on forever and ever, and there's nothing really to look forward to. I don't get it. So, there's no end for this body of death, in their opinion. There's no more end to the sinful world, according to what they believe. But the scriptures have an answer to that. Please turn to Romans 8 starting in verse 18. 
For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. What's coming? Jesus is coming. And with this coming will come all things new. We will have a new earth. No more suffering. No more death. No more sadness or tears. And I don't know how you all feel about this, but for me, this is an essential part of the gospel. What joy is there in thinking that the resurrection has already occurred and we have no new body to look forward to? What are we going to do? Float around like ghosts after we die? What joy is there in that? Are we going to be just floating on a cloud, jutting around like Casper the friendly ghost? I hope not. Again, to repeat what Paul stated in Philippians 3, our bodies would be fashioned like unto Christ's. And our, currently our bodies are not like Christ's at all because we still sin and we still have evil thoughts and we still can die. And so the resurrection has not already occurred. And that some people are still making the same mistake that Hymenaeus and Philetus made. And for them... Their so-called faith is just an intellectual pursuit or fancy. They can write all scriptures at will, especially on Internet, Internet debates. I just advise everybody to stay away from a lot of those. And they can argue doctrine. They can even argue against the errors of some of the worst soul-destroying doctrines that exist. But there's no hope within them. They aren't looking forward to anything. They only engage in gospel language, I think, I fear sometimes just to be seen of men. And I'm not the faith police, and I struggle very much with discerning the hearts of men. But I think this is true for many people, maybe even those we associate with. There are many tares that are raised up amongst the wheat. And one of these guys who like to argue doctrine, a guy I'll just call Mike, that I, I enjoyed talking to about 20 years ago about this, he once said to me when trying to convince me of his position, of there being no future resurrection. He said, Brandon, if I'm wrong about this resurrection, I'm merely saying that Christ hasn't completed something that he hasn't. In other words, what he saw it as a harmless diverging point of doctrine. And my response to him was, it's more than that. It's changing the very nature of what God said he would do. He said we would be raised from the dead, physically. We're not just raised from the dead spiritually, but we were to be raised from the dead physically. And this was the, this was the era of Hymenaeus and Philetus. They denied the physical resurrection of the dead. They changed the very nature of what God said he would do. So, but we're going to be raised from the dead with the same body that we have now. And our body, it's part of our identity. It's part of what makes me, me. It's what part makes all of you, you. 
we have our identity in our in our physical appearance. You know, let's let's take a look at Luke chapter 24. And I love this because it talks about Christ after he was resurrected from the dead. And as you saw in Philippians 3, it was he's the first fruits, and our body's going to be fashioned like unto his. And this is a uh, I'm going to read a few verses here from 36 to 53, because I just love this story. And as they thus spake, starting in Luke 24, verse 36, as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. They were terrified and affrighted and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are you troubled? And why do, you, why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet. It is that it is I myself, handle me and see, for a spirit hath not, flesh, hath not flesh and bones, as you see me have. It's a physical body. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and feet. And when they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have ye here any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and of honeycomb and he took it and he did eat before them and he said unto them these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me and then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures and said unto them thus it is written and let us it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. This is more than just a lovely Bible story of our Lord. This is our salvation. Notice something here. Christ appeared before his disciples in his body. And he asks, why are you troubled? And then he says, look at my hands and my feet. I'm not a spirit. I'm flesh and bones. And then he ate some broiled fish and some honeycomb. Our Lord enjoyed a delicious meal in his resurrected body. And he's the first fruits. And Paul says, we're next. In the new earth, I... We're going to be able to eat too, I imagine, just like our Lord did. And I like to eat. And everybody knows I do. My friend Drew Dietz likes to call me the big nasty because I love to eat. But, uh, and while heaven is more than eating and drinking, I'm excited to know that that may be there waiting for me. And I can just imagine meals in heaven with the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. With all of us, saints sitting around the meal eating tasty meat and drinking good wine and all the while giving thanks to Christ 
who completed all of our salvation for us. And we'll be seated at that table, not just as guests, but as family. When our kids sit at our meal at our tables and eat, they sit, they sit there totally accepted and loved because they have the right to sit there because they're our children. And we'll sit at that table too. But notice again what was said in this passage here in Luke. Christ was not just a spirit or a ghost. He was a physical man that appeared before men. And before he revealed himself to the disciples, he even walked and talked with them. And they didn't even recognize him. <laughs> His body was incorruptible, and it was raised from the dead. We're always going to have a physical body. Or our bodies will be raised from the dead. And they will be incorruptible and unable to sin and unable to be sick and unable to die. We won't get cancer. We won't get heart disease. We won't watch our loved ones suffer anymore. There will be no more tears, no more crying, no more sadness. It will be all joy. And we'll have eternal and everlasting life in a body. And I'm excited about that. I'm, I'm just ecstatic about that. And yet the world denies this. They don't believe it. You walk out on the street, you ask them, they don't, they don't know anything about it. They, they, don't, they don't believe it. They can't believe it because it hasn't been given to them to believe it. And you know what? They're miserable, just like Paul said. But those, and, but those who can use gospel language and still don't believe what's coming, people who have a hint of what Christianity is, but they just use it for whatever means to puff themselves up, they're the most miserable. And regarding our salvation, there are already fulfilled aspects of our salvation and not yet fulfilled aspects of our salvation. We have already received the salvation of our souls, with, and with joy we can look to Christ and rest in his imputed righteousness, his work in his life, death, and resurrection is a sure thing. We have been saved but we are still being saved. We are in heavenly places in Christ from God's perspective. We've been glorified in God's perspective even, but we still have yet to experience our physical resurrection and glorification. We still yet to experience heaven and a new earth without evil, and that's something I'm looking forward to. And so if you share the same hope as me, please don't allow anyone or some strange doctrine to rob you of this joy, this hope for the future. And as this week, as we go out into the world, let us rest in that perfect atonement in the precious blood of Christ that was spilt on our behalf. Let us dwell on what he has done for us, but also what is to come. And that's about all I really have to say on this tonight. So... I hope you heard something you might find edifying and beneficial to you. And thank you for listening. And I'm always available to talk. You can come by, come by the house if you want. I'm okay, I'm okay with drop-by visits. So just stop on by and uh, 
and I'll go ahead and pray before we dismiss, okay? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the, the great things you've given us. Thank you so much for our future hope and our resurrected bodies. We do look forward to the day when we can stand face to face with you and can smile and talk and enjoy your company in the flesh. I'd ask that you be with us as we go about our week. Father, that we would rest in you always and that we would we would seek your way in all things. We thank you for all things in Christ's name. Amen.